Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Jason, I guess we could have called this episode, It's Not Your Father's Space Race Anymore. And while Texas has been a critical component in our reach for space, it has never been more central than today. Beyond the names that everyone knows, SpaceX, Blue Origin, NASA's Johnson Center in Houston, there is so much more going on here. A recent Austin Inno article put it this way, they're fueled in part by record-setting levels of venture capital investment in space tech. Venture funding for space tech has grown from $2 billion in 2017 to $6 billion last year, according to Crunchbase data, about two-thirds of that coming from venture capitalists. And in this year, investors have made over $2 billion in deals. But it's not just about rockets and other hardware. Space is the venue for the latest in software, decision-making systems that allow us to translate what we learn there to ideas we can use here on the ground. And that leads us to our guest today. In 2017, Melanie Strickland took everything she had learned in 21 years of service with the United States Air Force to co-found Slingshot Aerospace, a company that is empowering organizations with its decision intelligence technologies. Today, she's the company's chief executive officer, where she leads the strategic vision, product development, and the company's growth strategy. Melanie had a distinguished Air Force career, whether it was ground surveillance aircraft, experimental spacecraft missions, or leading the development of space control technologies for the Department of Defense. A trailblazer in the industry, Strickland frequently speaks at conferences about the value of situational awareness and advancing space sustainability. I also hosted a TED Talk discussing how images from space protect the Earth. Also joining us is Mike Cianelli of NASA. Mike is the agency's director of the Apollo, Challenger, and Columbia Lessons Learned program. He assumed this role in 2016 and is responsible for innovatively and effectively sharing the lessons of the past to help ensure future success. This unique role involves leading lessons learned discussions for NASA employees at all levels. He uses the stories of Apollo 1, Challenger, and Columbia to share what has been learned from these past mishaps to prevent reoccurrence in future applications. Cianelli also does large-scale lessons learned events at Kennedy Space Center, where he works to bring these past experiences and the emotions behind the accidents alive through multimedia and strong storytelling. These events expand across the agency, and in addition to these main activities, he also collaborates with outside media like National Geographic to share these lessons learned with a wider audience. Mike joined NASA in 2005 coming from the United Space Alliance, where he was a project test engineer. He grew up in Syracuse, New York, and he enjoys spending time with his family, as well as a myriad of outdoor activities. Melody, Mike, welcome to the Austin Next Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So before we get started, Melody, I want to first thank you for your service. And talk to me about how the Air Force experience translates into Slingshot. Yeah. So um, as you know, I, I spent 21 years in, in the Air Force. I retired in 2017 and started Slingshot, 
Um, there's several things that, that I uh, brought with me to Slingshot from the Air Force and, and translate very clearly. One is leadership. So I feel like uh, the Air Force, both on the enlisted side, I started out enlisted flying in the back of a surveillance aircraft and moved over the space uh, as an officer. But throughout my career, they cultivated leadership. They gave me a tool bag of leadership uh, capability that I bring to work every single day here with our team and cultivate our team. Another thing is uh, just the importance of culture. Although the culture was pretty set whenever I joined the Air Force, unlike Slingshot, I was able to understand the differences of very quickly understand, okay, if you don't set the culture early, the culture will set itself. Um, and it, it it made me think, you know, when the Air Force first started and now the Space Force first starting, my goodness, the load that those leaders had uh, to take on to set that culture early and uh, cultivate it often. And so those are two things that I bring over from a, a, a leadership perspective. But then the technical inclination that's needed to execute um, something as, as robust as what Slingshot's doing takes a, just a unique um, and diverse set of skill set across uh, data science and AI and front end and back end and full stack engineering and, and simulation and 3D and, and it just goes on and on and on. Um, and so being able to uh, bring together a cross section of America's brightest and, and best into one company and get them to execute uh, towards a big vision is something that I also uh, learned in the Air Force and brought with me over here at Slingshot. No, and I think the the space industry seems to be this real interesting amalgamation of both kind of the you know building physical objects, while obviously the data and software side become really critical uh, going forward as well. So, talk to me a little about you know about Slingshot. What is it that the company does? Who are your primary customers? Yeah, our mission is really to uh, accelerate space sustainability and and elevate our customers who are uh, typically owner operators of satellites and, and launch vehicles. We want to give them the ability to monitor, simulate, and, and truly optimize their space operations, their space systems, as they fly through a very, very dynamic um, environment. So we bring a dynamic virtual environment to them to help with their decision intelligence. It is interesting that we think about the, you know, the stack, the infrastructure stack of companies now, and, you know, you start having the Almost is I understand right. This thing starts kind of the back end of you know. You hear about the satellites, you hear about the rockets, and all, all those kind of things. But it takes a lot more behind the scenes as well to kind of really grow the space industry as as we're seeing. And I, I just find that fascinating. Obviously, we're we're talking about Austin here uh, and the innovation e ecosystem. Can you describe, in your words, kind of the space industry, uh, the history here in Austin, and you know how long has it been, and how did it really get started, and what do you see is kind of impacting us today? Yeah. So I think. You know, our, our entire world is experiencing a convergence of industries and, and for Slingshot specifically, it's the confluence of high power compute, AI um, and next generation immersion and, and simulation and, and being able to bring real time data of the entire space domain from debris to, you know, um, where the, the objects are precisely from a positional knowledge perspective and where they're going to be and be able to plan and what if analysis that kind of thing. So that confluence of technology is something that Austin, Texas has has had and continues to cultivate on a very uh, progressive basis. And I think that, you know, the space economy has benefited from that confluence, but is now bringing confluence of those technologies to space. And so the history of space technology in, in Texas has been ro robust. It's starting to be become more robust in Austin specifically. Back in the Apollo days, there were 
uh, component man manufacturers in Austin, as well as you know chipset manufacturers. And today, the emerging space industry there is bringing the likes of um, I heard SpaceX may be coming there. Don't have that validated, but um, some of their Starlink components may be uh, manufactured out in Austin soon. You've got folks like Cesium Astro and Slingshot and and uh, Firefly, small launch. Small launch is making a huge difference in how we get on orbit today. And and um, anyway, so exciting to see where Firefly goes in the future there. Um, and then Cesium's doing more edge processing and, and, and really shortening the latency that we've uh, been so familiar with in the space industry for so long. So that's an exciting uh, opportunity for them as well. And I'm sure there's others that I don't know of for the large uh, primes. They all have kind of a little footprint there in Austin, and I expect that to grow uh, tremendously as we approach that $4 trillion space market by 2030. So you talked about how you know space is really taking the convergence of all of these technology, or at least space industry is taking the convergence of these technologies into space. And one of the things that I find really interesting and why when we're doing these kind of individual deep dives on all the different industries in, in Austin, how do you see space interacting with all of the other kind of innovation sectors uh, in Austin? Is it kind of standalone or do you see it really kind of either bleeding across or bringing interesting technologies or business models to others as well? I love the the idea of bringing uh, new business models to space because for years it's been very R&D-centric time and materials, et cetera. And now, um, you know, although the vast majority of space investment today is still in hardware, rockets, satellites, components, ground stations, the new digital um, infrastructure that's necessary, like what we're bringing to, to bear and others, is that digital environment of what what those, um, those pieces of hardware experience and optimizing spaceflight and other things. And so in order to do that, yeah, you've got to have a, a huge confluence of of technologies, but you also have to bring forth more software as a service, I believe, to make um, you know this workforce that is necessary to get to that larger market um, is robust. There's not enough astro and aeronautic schools out there uh, to support that. And so in order to cultivate that workforce, we've got to do things different. We've got to make uh, space accessible to everyone. Uh, that is starting to happen, but we also have to make it understandable for everyone. To do that, you've got to bring technology that obviates but continues to keep the fidelity of the physics under the hood, but obviates the complexity so that that workforce um, can be more um, uh, of a, a, a cross-section of the U.S. as it is today. Not everyone's an astrodynamicist, right? And so I think that, you know, the SAS movement uh, that we saw come out of Austin in the Valley uh, over the last 10 or 15 years is significantly going to uh, help the space industry get there and and train the workforces necessary with that type of business model and software as a service. And so we're excited to be at the forefront of that, right, along um, some of the best folks who have learned that um, coming out of Austin. I think, you know, you have kind of like the low-code, no-code movement uh, to really bring programming to all different applications. I like the idea of kind of pulling that over to be like, you know, the low astrophysics, you know, type of product for That's somebody right. who doesn't have that kind of degree can really come in and be able to help with, with that. So where would you think that the maturity level of the uh, of the industry is? Obviously, we, you know, seeing a lots of kind of, you know, the billionaire space race kind of situation going on. And, you know, yeah, as as we're recording this, this we just had, you know, William Shatner go up in, in Blue Origin. But so that's obviously not sustainable. It's kind of a very kind of still a one off and testing the products. But where do you kind of see the maturity of both the private space industry and then specifically the, the Austin uh, space industry? 
Yeah, as far as the the commercial space industry, um, you know, a few years back, it was mainly government and nation states. And what we've seen is that script has flipped. And now we have more commercial assets uh, in our orbits than government assets. Right. And so I think the maturity of commercial is well on its way to go beyond uh, tourism. Right. Um, I think tourism is a wonderful thing because it brings the, the uh, overview effect and helps people understand that we're all on one planet. We're one unit here. Um, but I but I think that that's a, you know, a, an R&D path to to getting more and more capability up, which actually helps humanity uh, in the long run. I think the majority of, of, of space industry in Austin is emerging. I think um, you know over the next five to ten years we'll see a solid uh, movement of folks uh, from other states coming in with the incentives that that Texas has to bear and and with the uh, rich history of of software there as we move into more of a digital space uh, revolution. So we talked about you know you were saying like it was very nation state and and government driven and obviously the initial space race right all of the money was coming from you know nation states and the like now. We have lots of private money kind of flowing in. How has that kind of changed the dynamic? Obviously, the customer base, both from an investor perspective and the actual customers, has changed. How is that kind of changing? You know, how Slingshot or or, or any of these companies, you know, go forward. I think it opens the playing field for new uh, innovators and creators to come uh, to the surface. I think there's an, an an enormous amount of investment in the space revolution right now. Uh, which means those space enthusiasts uh, that grew up like me, just loving the night sky and and um, uh, wanting to be astronauts or just wanting to be in the space program that may not have those degrees or are on that skill path. Now, with the investment going into companies and 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 software becoming more central to this, it allows for those enthusiasts to come work at space companies. So really, I think that's one benefit that we we are seeing right now is an influx of dollars, but also an influx of talent that we haven't seen before that brings new creative uh, and innovative technologies to bear. It's an exciting place and time to be right now. So we've lots of money coming in, lots of new opportunities coming. What are the biggest challenges that you're facing? And specifically, you know, one general challenge is specific things here in Austin, and how is that different than kind of your primary location in California? You know, there's challenges in, in both places. El Segundo, California, has been the epicenter of space from the very beginning. Um, we're surrounded by large primes that have been in this industry from the beginning as well. You know, the Northrop's, the Boeing's, the Lockheed's, uh, the the Space Force uh, headquarters for acquisition uh, and R&D for space is there. Um, and it's all just kind of centrally located right there in El Segundo. That makes things uh, easier from, a, you know, let, let me step over and, and understand your pain points better uh, from an industry perspective and an end user perspective as far as the government is concerned. But it also is, uh, you know, the talent uh, war is really sh just like in, in um, you know, software out in Austin, that talent war is going on, the talent war is going on in aerospace out in L.A. So just different challenges. But. You know, the, the challenge of not being a main space hub yet in Austin is uh, just education and helping the community understand that you can be part of a space company. You uh, don't have to be an astrodynamicist or a rocket scientist to be part of a, a, a very progressive forward moving industry um, and and getting out. Um, and these types of podcasts definitely help with that. Um, so appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. 
but I think the biggest challenge in, in Austin right now is just the, the talent war on the software side. So high tech, extremely educated workforce out there um, offers, you know, the opportunity to bring those folks in and, and the whole nation knows that now. So now uh, Austinites can be hired up in Seattle or out in D.C. or out in, you know, the Valley and and still work from Austin. So it's a it's a heated market for that rich talent force that we've got there. And it's funny, like across the board, I think talent is one of the biggest uh, issues and challenges that we're seeing, both from a we have so much growth opportunities that, you know, that's it's moving faster than the, the people that are uh, either switching over or coming here. How are you seeing kind of from the the entry level, right? Like obviously top coders, as you said, can go to Seattle or, or the Bay Area and you kind of pull them over. But are you trying to work on kind of bringing in that whole next generation of, of to really be you know, the, the top coders of tomorrow or the engineers or, or whatever the, the roles needed is. Yeah, especially on the, the astrodynamics side. So, you know, by the time a, a typical astrodynamicist uh, graduates, then they have already got, you know, five or six or, or seven years of uh, experience under their belt, having worked in the industry. And so it's very obvious to us that we've got to start earlier and earlier from the entry point uh, to UT or the entry point to, you know, these universities, we need to be cultivating uh, our education uh, program because, you know, they're aimed uh, to get into industry. Some of them are aimed to get into startups like us. Uh, a lot of them want to go work at NASA and get the um, the Mars uh, stink on them a little bit. So um, or the moon stink. And so we've got to, you know, be right there working side by side with the universities on understanding what the talent wants and how to uh, attract that talent in a new and compelling way. Melanie, thank you. That's a great segue into Michael. Everybody knows who NASA was and how it's been the key government agency responsible for the U.S. push into space. With more and more private space ventures, Mike, what's NASA's role today? Great question, Michael, and thank you for uh, the invitation to be here today. You know, you made a great segue because Melanie did a great job explaining today's environment and, you know, things are evolving so quickly. So we had, you know, many decades uh, since the late 50s of NASA being the primary launch provider and focal point for the nation and even the world uh, in many ways to put us into space, right, in the research space. And that's evolving very quickly, very recently. So, um, so the last few years, I, I think the private space world and the government space world have been kind of finding their way, right? That this new world we're living in, and it's evolving. It's evolving rapidly. And what we see was um, as these new ventures were coming onto the scene, um, they were kind of getting to know, say, us in the, in the government sector and uh, kind of understanding us. And then we were also understanding the new kids on the block, if you will, right? The new folks coming in. And I think it was a really interesting time because, um, you know, they brought maybe perhaps a different approaches in some ways. We had our approach. And what I've been seeing happening is something really, really amazing is as we get to know them and they get to know us, if you will, there's been a lot of great collaboration building. And as far as the NASA side of it, we see this exciting opportunity coming forward with a lot of new talent, young talent, perhaps innovative ways of thinking, different approaches. And so we think if we take that, right, this new energy, this new talent, a way of thinking and approaching operations, uh, design and all kinds of different aspects, and we match that and marry that with over 60 years of amazing NASA experience and history, 
and kind of put those two together, we've got something really beautiful. Um, we've got a lot of talent. We've got a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom. Um, so our role now is kind of working with them, getting to know what they're thinking. You know, NASA's uh, learning, NASA's growing, and, uh, and hopefully we're also helping them grow through NASA's history. So it's really an exciting time. I, I guess I just want to follow up on one of the questions or one of the statements that Melanie made about a lot of folks in the astrodynamics world going to NASA first to get the, what did you call it? The Mars stink or the moon stink on them. Um, <laughs> does NASA see itself today as, as you continue this transition into as much a talent provider as a launch source and uh, technology play? That's a great question. Um, I, I think we see, and of course it's evolving, right? So I think what we see is um, we have that rich history, right? We've had, you know, millions and millions of hours of experience um, of, you know, testing, R&D, launch operations. There's a lot of that inherent wisdom that's been building up over um, well over half a century now. So I think, you know, NASA sees its role in many ways, but we're, we're really endeavoring to foster the growth of these industries. When we see these new providers coming in, these new companies coming in, it's very exciting because it, pr it promotes and furthers the cause of space exploration and space endeavors for, for the nation, right? And even our international partners. So, so, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So we're really excited about that. We want to foster that, um, you know, I, at our different centers, we do that. So specifically, say, for example, the Kennedy Space Center, um, that's more of our, our launch complex areas. And so we're, we have a lot of companies coming in, a lot of um, organizations. Some have a decent amount of experience, right? They've got a track record, say like SpaceX and those that have some runtime. And then we have new providers that are just coming off, coming off the starting line. And they've got perhaps a, a little farther path ahead of them, but it's exciting. So we can help grow them and, and try to encourage them to do that. So in some ways it might be uh, talent related. In other ways, it might just be our help of explaining how things work. You know, there's a rich history of things that have gone right. Uh, there's also a rich history of things that didn't happen right. And if you can apply that wisdom um, that in all that experience to these folks that haven't had the runtime, the 60 years of runtime, um, it helps them get off the starting line even quicker. Yeah. You and I had a chance to talk a little earlier and I was fascinated by NASA's willingness to talk as much about the easy things, the successes, as well as the hard stuff, the failures. And, you know, it's just been six weeks, seven weeks at the recording time since Firefly attempted their first launch. And I don't think anybody was surprised that they had difficulty the first time. And you know what? It's okay. They are building their experience. Um, and I'm sure they're going to do well with the next one and the next one after that. But I want to talk about your work on bringing these learnings back to earth. Now, when I was a kid and I wanted to be an astronaut, the main thing we talked about is coming back from the Mercury and the Gemini program was Tang. Tells you how old I am. <laughs> but now NASA's got so much more experience and there's so much that you're willing to put on the line. Talk about that work a little bit and how it's impacting NASA other providers in the aerospace industry, as well as other companies? Uh, it's one of the things I'm unbelievably excited about. And the agency has really embraced teaching, um, teaching our past. Um, you know, I, 
when, when I look at it, right, you look back at history as your guide and, and your roadmap for the future, right? There's so many folks and so many generations and, and centuries and millennia that have come before us. And there's a lot of wisdom built up, right? And a lot of that is, you know, things we do that we've learned that are great things to repeat, to emulate. And there's other things we've learned that maybe these aren't the best things to, to do once again. And if you lose that, you know, you can make those same mistakes. And, and history is replete with that, right? So it doesn't matter if you're going back and looking at Titanic or, or further back, any incidences, you can see modern day comparisons to making those same mistakes. That's part of being human, right? They call that the human DNA factor. Um, we're just prone to sometimes repeat mistakes. So what we've done is we've looked at this dynamic world and this really grew out of um, when the space shuttle program was being closed out uh, in 2011. And my whole previous life and career was working space shuttle and, and launch operations. And then we, um, as we're gearing towards the future, uh, we started looking at that and saying, okay, we've got a great, great number of new providers coming on board with new innovative ideas. But again, you know, these folks don't have the runtime, right? They, they don't have a lot of the inherent wisdom built into their systems because they're newer. It's understandable. NASA was there at once time too, right? So we said, how wonderful would it be if we could share those lessons learned? Um, and specifically, um, you know, we, of course we share the good things. We also share the difficult and we share the times that we've had missteps. We've shared those times that we've, we've had failures and we've lost our friends and our colleagues and our heroes um, because we don't want to do that again on a, on a personal level a level, you know, I was part of those launch teams and we, when we lost Columbia and those were very, very personal losses for myself and also thousands of the NASA family. We don't want to do that again. We're, we're dedicated to everything. We can not have that happen, not only for the NASA missions, but also for the private industry as well. So what we do is we, um, we take a mantra that was, it's been said from by many people over many years, but Winston Churchill said it um, back in the world war two time frame is those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we've taken that truly to heart. So we look at our, our past failures. We're very upfront and honest about those. We realize it's something that's very unique that we're able to do in the agency. And that uh, it's something much more difficult for say private industry who has competitors, who has a, a, a bottom line, if you will, to meet and perhaps shareholders and other things, other forces that are at play. And it might be more difficult for them to share uh, difficult things or talk about failure. And, and that's where we come in with that very unique role, I believe, and are able to talk about that and, and to talk about those things and say, hey, here's, here's how we made a misstep. Here's what we could have done better. Um, so they take those lessons learned. So, so we do that. We go back into in the 60s. We talk about missions through there. Uh, we talk about Apollo 1, uh, Space Shuttle Challenger Law, Space Shuttle Columbia. Apollo 13, and there's a lot of other missions that folks may not know of that had um, maybe more challenges than, you know, you saw the ending, everything worked great, right? But there's, there's things that happened during those missions that perhaps didn't work so well. Um, so we're bringing all those to the forefront and sharing those. Turning towards the future a little bit, NASA's role obviously is continuing to transition. And as the private space industry grows, what do you think is next for NASA? Wow. Well, we, you know, we've got a lot of great, exciting things on the docket, right? The last couple of years, a lot of high profile missions. So uh, we just, you know, recently went to Mars again, robotically, and we had our latest rover on Mars. We had our, the first helicopter ingenuity on Mars flying the first powered flight, if you will, on another planet. 
Um, so NASA has been doing some high profile missions. Um, you know, this Saturday uh, scheduled to be the Lucy mission. We're going to be launching a mission to the asteroids that are in the Jupiter system. So we've got some exciting scientific discovery missions coming up. We also have the James Webb Space Telescope, a massive successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, it's going to completely, hopefully, revolutionize our, our view of the universe and the history of the universe and our, our place in the universe, if you will. So we've got some huge profile missions coming up. We also have um, the Artemis program, which is America's return to the moon. Uh, we're really excited about that. Um, we have our rocket, um, our space launch system rocket that we're building towards that endeavor. And in addition to that, uh, Michael, we have all of the connections to the private world, right? So NASA is not just doing things standalone anymore back in, say, in the Apollo days or the space shuttle program, but now we've got the infusion and partnerships of private. So when I mentioned Artemis going back to the moon, well, that's not just a government endeavor. Now that's also the private sector's part of that. So we have the folks that are building and processing, say, the Orion spacecraft that's going to help carry our crews. And most recently, we have the addition of SpaceX uh, into that program. So SpaceX is building an unbelievably massive rocket, the Starship system, which is absolutely incredible. It's, it's designed and built to be the largest, most powerful rocket ever built in history. Uh, and Starship is now part of Artemis program to help land astronauts on the moon. So so NASA's role is, you know, continue to do the NASA specific functions, but it's also to partner and collaborate with these amazing new endeavors to help us pull off these incredible missions, uh, very high profile missions, but also very audacious missions, right? Going back to the moon, building a base, having folks learn how to, how to live and operate on the moon, and then take that technology and learning and take it to Mars and beyond. So, so NASA's got a really key role um, going forward. This has been great, and I've learned a lot. And one of the things that that I just find interesting is, uh, you know, I have three small children, and how normal this is becoming. You know, we we watched, you know, during that couple of weeks when you know you had Virgin Galactic, then um, SpaceX, then Blue Origin, all send people up, and my kids are like, "Oh, we're watching another rocket launch." Like it's it's becoming just so normal now, and uh, and I think that's great. And like you know, the idea of that they can you know, there's a non-zero chance that any of them will go to space, I think is, uh, is pretty, is pretty exciting. Love where this is all going. And so I thank you guys for your time on being here and want to definitely think about what's coming. And so we always like to kind of end our, our interviews with the same kind of central question that we're asking. So Mike, we'll start with you. What's next, Austin? A lot, <laughs> a lot of exciting things, uh, Jason. There are so many things coming down, down the pike. Uh, you know, when we see what I see is we reach out with our Apollo Challenger Columbia Lessons Learned Program, for example, at NASA, right? One of our programs that we teach the lessons. We see so much innovation, so much interest from around the country. Um, Texas is becoming a hotbed for space activity. Uh, we saw it yesterday, right? We saw it recently with the second launch of, um, of a crew with Blue Origin, right? Astronauts from Texas soil. We see it with Boca Chica and what SpaceX is doing. Um, and we see it with, with places like Austin uh, and others around Texas and the nation. You know, everybody thought of space as being centralized, say, at the Kennedy Space Center or certain NASA-specific centers. But now the, the really amazing part is we see it blossoming all over the country, uh, not only with the, with the amazing companies that Melanie spoke of bringing forth um, in the military and civilian sectors, uh, but we see that partnering with NASA. So uh, we, we see companies in Austin helping 
partnering. Uh, we see amazing talent coming from locations such as Austin, young, bright talent that wants to be a part of the greater mission, right? Which is NASA's a part of. So we're excited about that. And, and again, we see folks reaching out to programs like our, our Lessons Learned program. What can they learn from NASA and how can NASA contribute to the success of missions? And it's not just missions of launch operations. You know, we're working with companies and, and we're working with the sporting industry, right? We're working with the biomedical industry. We're working with transportation. It's exciting how NASA is now partnering with organizations that are far outside of aerospace, but want to learn about safety, want to learn about lessons learned and how it applies to them. So, so we're excited at NASA that we can partner with all of our friends at Austin and other places like that and how we can help contribute to their mission success in whatever they're doing, aerospace or not. Melanie, I'd love to give you the final word. What's next, Austin? So the space economy sector obviously is uh, growing and fueling, I would say exploding, but um, that's probably not the best term to use with the, the space industry. Um, and I just see uh, new opportunities every day. And so with the, the uh, convergence of uh, technology hubs moving to Austin. I think you see it in the news almost every day. A new company is moving out to Austin. I think Austin is primed to be the next nexus. So maybe it's a nexus in Texas of, of the space industry. Um, I mean, got all the, the history around the state also. And as you know, Austin is the center of creativity and innovation. And uh, if that nexus in Texas can be in Austin, I can't think of a better place. Fantastic. Thank you both for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.